if I go running and I go and run a 10k road race and people go, oh, it's not very quick, is it, for a you know, former, and I go, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 60 now. Whereas with orienteering, apart from what I did when I was a teenager, I could go into it fresh and I can create my own benchmark, if you like. Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Running. This week joined by, well, I think athletics royalty, soon to be orienteering royalty. Mm-hmm. Um, we have got a very special interviewee who is um, Olympic silver medalist in 1500 metres, former world record holder in the 1500 metres, Steve Cram, who has just become the president of British Orienteering. So that is definitely not one to miss, um, diving into his past of orienteering and and learning about how he's come back to the sport after some time away from his junior career. But Catherine, before we get to that, we're going to talk about the European Championships, which was on two weekends ago now. You were you were commentating, commentating on it. You weren't there. I was about to say you were there. <laughs> well, the number of people, actually, at the, who I've just seen at the event um, in Hambledon were like, oh, Kath, I really like really enjoyed the commentary. Oh, how, how was it being out in Switzerland? I was like, Haha, I wasn't actually there. Um, we so it worked. We specifically didn't say either way whether we were there or not there because I wanted people to believe if we were there. Um, so I, I'm quite I'm quite pleased that some people thought we were actually there. So it was quite a strange thing actually going and like not being able to be on the courses, not being able to see any of the athletes, like not being able to just you know get a kind of bit of the vibe, a bit of the atmosphere, or knowing exactly what the courses look like. So um, that was very very strange, but. Um, as you might expect, it was uh, Switzerland, home nation, who really kind of won out at at the championships. Um, Sweden also doing pretty well with uh, Emil Svensk um, winning the men's sprint and Tove Alexanderson winning both the two individual sprint races. We had um, a very small team there, as we've discussed before. Um, Ralph didn't end up making it. Ralph Street didn't end up making it because he came, he had to quarantine. He came into contact with someone who tested positive for COVID. So we just had a team of three, meaning we didn't even have a sprint relay team, which was a bit of a shame because that looks absolutely fast and furious, the race um, kind of along the the lakeside in Neuchâtel. It was flat. It was kind of around some uni, big uni buildings, um, like older type uni buildings. And um, uh, there's some barriers, some labyrinth kind there's of There's a sections, lot of barriers, yeah. A lot of Opening barriers. up a whole football stadium and putting barriers into it. That was quite yeah. unique. I've not seen that before. Yeah, the finish was in this like football stadium that seated like 12,000 people or something. And, you know, they'd hoped to have like 4,000 Swiss or interior fans there. But of course, there was nobody. But yeah, they put these little, they put this kind of like maze in right at the end to just kind of like mess with everybody as they uh, went into the football stadium. So mm. I have never seen an arena like that before. That would have been absolutely amazing um, to go in. Brilliant um, planning. I, I, it just didn't work for them, did it, with the way the race went? Because <laughs> they no, couldn't create the tension no it's such a shame that like i think the the swiss who won they they were the fastest on all of the legs like they didn't even they were all the fastest Mm. on their respective leg which is just insane and yeah they they beat the swedes it was a good battle for third place um in the end and that kept chopping and changing but um yeah it was just I would just love to see some kind of more nation, more nations be at the top. But you know, the Swiss and the Swedes have got so much depth in their squads that it's just they can just absolutely 
go out and smash it there and they and they really really did yeah um we had a knockout sprint so it was the first ever knockout sprint like at a major championship so we crowned our first ever um champions there and actually that was such a good there was really really good races i thought some really really good planning with some kind of options to take different route choices they were in this um the the castle the in prison the castle the castle yeah. and there was like really steep awful steps going up to it and then coming back down so there's lots of route choices like do you go down on the steps do you go down on like the the road that's a bit further kind of cobbles and stuff and i felt really sorry for um hannah lundberg who was uh on in the last women's semi-final she was the there was a route choice to go either up some stairs and then back down again or back around the bottom but much further and she went up the stairs and at this point she was the only one to do it and it just looked so painful just seeing her like going up here and she's like still a junior next year so she's not even a senior for a couple of years and she did really well to get there the swede um so megan got into semi-finals uh, she didn't progress through to the final but it was great to see her getting there um joe shepherd and uh, tam wilson uh, had I think reasonably decent qualification races, but they they didn't qualify into any of the knockout rounds. A lot of people didn't qualify though. Some big hitters yeah, missed out. They um, really were, especially the men's. Because it was twelve qualifying through from three heats for each um, for each yeah, of the genders. So in total, yeah, yeah, it, it's a real. <laughs> I mean, it's more cutthroat than an individual qualification and final at the World Champs because that's mm. fifteen. And yeah, yeah, well, Gustav Bergman, who uh, probably was a favourite for a medal, I'd say, mm-hmm, missed mm-hmm. out. Um, Frederick Tronchand as well, who brought the French up so well in the sprint relay, missed out. And yeah, it's, uh, it's a hard thing. Knockout yeah, is a hard, hard event. slightly off your game, Gustav Bergman said he, he felt like he had a kind of a good run, but he just wasn't quite, you know, he went too slow. the edge every single, you know, you had to be right on it for every single control in order to make that. Mm. So that was really 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 good and then of course it was good had... watching as well it was good watching it just mm. the only shame was that the gps wasn't working well enough so you oh. couldn't see all the routes all the time um so you want to see yeah. more of the map but obviously the map wasn't getting put up by the director because the gps wasn't going so well but it was it looked like good planning people weren't just following each other which is what people mm-hmm. have been maligning the the knockout four and saying it won't work so uh to see no, i think exciting. all the ones we've had on on the telly on on the live streams all the knockouts have been pretty good like yeah. people have actually been orienteering so i think but i, I mean, do the think it requires really good planning you know yeah. oh yeah, yeah well matthias kibbert won it on to the to the last control you know he went a route that was like three meters shorter or something and yeah. he managed to like snatch ahead of joey haddle and take the win which he never even got into his i mean he's a, he's a very very good sprint orienteer was defending european champion in the, the normal sprint so he's very good but he'd never actually got into a final of a knockout sprint at the world cup before and he was able to like pull that out of the bag and and take the risk and and make it work so hmm. that was so exciting and then we had the individual sprint as well which was you should go have a look at the maps because it was really defined by one long leg um on the maps and it, the men's and the women's had the same leg and you know you'd lose basically about 20 seconds if you went the wrong way something something like that not everybody obviously you know within some sort of a uh, give or take a few seconds um so that was proving to be really tricky so some of some of those who you know we knew they were just completely out of the race after they'd 
got taken that that wrong route choice and some were able to claw back some seconds but others not and so megan carter davis finished in 17th place um just looking down results to see where we had joe finish uh, she was in 70th and bear in mind there was a, over 100 pe- 100 women uh, on that race and um then we had tam and let me just see where and there were like 120 men so he was 110th out of about 120 um so yeah like deep fields massive and you you know the swiss have like 10 had like 10 men in it it's just like crazy they were fifth sixth sixth equal eighth tenth eleventh twelfth were all swiss it's just quite amazing it's quite over planned as well Interesting. You don't normally get an overplanned sprinter to championship, but it was it was long. Well, it was long in the, in the the amount in of time, the time. You were running. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was. Oh, yeah, I guess so. It was about. 16 it was way minutes. over fifteen minutes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's a that's true. Actually, they normally underestimate, but it was quite a lot of like ex elites who'd been uh, planning it. So maybe they. Maybe they maybe we're just not as fit as those guys. <laughs> <laughs> But it's always a, a long, like, when the sprint is too long, it's always so annoying because you're just knackered and you want it to end. Yeah, and then they had lots of little controls. They had to do, you know, you're going through the arena and then had quite a few short controls yeah. around the last bit around the old town. It's just like, end this now. Yeah, it was, it looks, it looked really tough and it was raining and, um, oh, it's great. yeah. Anyway, but it was, it seemed to be a reasonably successful champ. So I don't think anybody got COVID, which is great. Uh, and means, you know, a good template for, I think, doing more orienteering events. Yeah. And, and quite a lot of the athletes now have literally gone straight to the Czech Republic to start to prepare for world, world championships. So, um, that's at the beginning of July and it's going to be everybody's next focus basically. Mm-hmm um so enough about the europeans uh you very quickly before we move on to our chat with steve you were racing a little bit you were also racing at the european um champs weekend but up in the lake i was district. yeah yeah we had a um first round of the uk elite league in the lake districts with a prologue middle distance on saturday on a brand new area for, that's not been used for the last or brand new map it's not been used for the last 25 years um on with a slack and then a chasing start on the sunday as well in a um a kind of format of three gaffled loops at the start and then you go on to a common loop on the end which was kind of um around about eight to ten minutes for each of the gaffled loops and then a, a kind of final loop of 20 minutes to half an hour and it was brutal it was all just really brutal like hardcore limestone paving on the first day um on simpsons ground if anyone's run it before it's quite a quite a tough physical forest a lot mm-hmm. of wind blown and it was hammering it down with rain <laughs> as well so it was a real proper hardcore forest race and it was and it was absolutely brilliant I, I just kind of went in there just wanting to enjoy it and and uh be back at the races and um enjoy being in the f- thick of things and it was it was great fun more stuff like that is brilliant because i think what a lot of people are fearful of with the uh the chasing start format is that people just follow each other and i actually only ran with one person for about six minutes of the course and for the rest of it i was completely on my own <laughs> so i know people did get into packs in other places but um it's that's it quite a lonely race so uh yeah it's it's great fun though great fun well yeah sounds like it was just yeah nice to be out racing a lot of people mm. out there um do, doing great and yeah just more races we'd love to see right well let's move on to the most exciting part of this episode of course which is um our chat with 
the one and only Steve Cram, who has just recently been announced as the president of British Orienteering. Uh, yeah, let's have a listen. I'm delighted to say Steve Cram is joining us on the podcast, um, newly appointed president of British Orienteering. And um, I think some people will be maybe see that be a bit surprised to see you've been announced um, as the president and not knowing you've had any involvement in orienteering before. So what is your orienteering background? Take us back to the start of that. Well, yes, they're quite within the rights to be surprised, I suppose. Um, No, my my orienteering kind of roots go go back quite a long way in the sense of time because I'm getting a bit older now. I was in an athletic club in in uh, Jaron Hebben Athletic Club, and and a couple of our kind of key. Um, I had a coach, and then his uh, there was another guy who uh, was coaching as well. But he was well into orienteering, and we, as a group of youngsters, used to use orienteering an awful lot, partly through him, um, uh, to you know, kind of have a, a slightly different perspective on running. It was just more fun, you know, to get out in the forest and, and, and um, quite a few weekends, you know, we went to events and, and I was one of those three or four of us who took to it a little bit more, um, having initially gone as a couple of big groups, you know, a couple of minibuses and we'd go off to a couple of events and it wasn't to everybody's liking, but um, I loved it. You know, I'm, I've always been a bit of a map person. I still am. Um, uh, which which helps because I travel an awful lot and that, but I've always had that um, I don't know like at school geography was my favourite subject and and maths and and so the, all those elements are wrapped up in that as well so it wasn't just the running so for a good few years um, sort of between the ages of thirteen and I'd say eighteen I did I did quite a lot of orienteering um, and competed as well. And um, and even did a couple of training courses, so you know I, I was taking it reasonably serious. And and then and then my normal running, if you like, began to take off, and and it became um, I I was hurtling through forests at a, at a at a rate which I probably shouldn't have been if I was looking after my legs and ankles and then all the rest of it. And I I did have a couple of um, I twisted my ankle on one occasion, and then kind of we were like, eh, okay, maybe you need to peg this back I sort of kept in touch with it then just through friends and things without actually competing anymore um, and then my athletics career really took off and then oddly enough I sort of came back to seeing what was going on in the world of orienteering when I'd retired and started to sit uh, on the lottery panel and we were looking at different sports and um, this, this is going back the sort of uh, latter half of the 90s and and and, and I'll say this, uh, you know, I did campaign quite vigorously within the lottery panel for orienteering to be included in the funded programmes just for, for various reasons. But I ended up then moving to the elite part of the funding programme, uh, which was much more about winning medals at Olympics and the rest of it, which, of course, orienteering isn't, isn't part of that as such. So, um, but what that did was it gave me a little bit of a, a bit more of an insight to the federation and, and, and what you know how it was work, how it worked, and I know things have probably changed a bit since then. So that's uh, a potted history, if you like, um, and have watched from a distance. You know how the sport has evolved and the sort of the type of events you have now, and and now as an event organizer as well, ourselves. Then um, 
uh, the last year or two since I was asked about this role, I was like, oh, there's lots of interesting things going on. And, and um, uh, it, it's piqued my interest to, I, there's, let's put it this way, there's no way I'm going to go and take part as a runner in a, in a, in a proper organised running out. People say, why don't you do like the World <laughs> Masters and things like that? But I could see myself having, you know, maybe having a go at competing at orienteering in my age group bracket, as it were. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I could see that happening. Well, that's such a strong thing about orienteering in my mind is that it has these really defined age gap uh, in, in every five years. So you can kind of be really competitive, whatever age you are, and be out competing at the same time as Will and I and, and, and 10 year olds and everything like that. Probably more competitive for some people <laughs> in the age groups. <laughs> well, I think the, the, the key is that I don't have anything to compare it to. You know, I'm, if I go running and I go and run a 10k road race and people go, oh, it's not very quick, is it, for a you know, former... And I go, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 60 now and I'm thinking, yeah, it's all right for... Whereas with orienteering, you know, I don't... Apart from what I did when I was, you know, a teenager... Um, I, so I, I could go into it fresh, you know, and I, could, I can create my own uh, benchmark, if you like, uh, for, for the level at which I, would, I could do. So, no, I'm, I'm genuinely interested in doing that. So watch this space. Oh, exciting. How do you think your that map reading exciting. skills are going to be? I think they're still pretty good. Uh, oddly enough, um, with our events uh, business, the one of the things which I'm you know, kind of oversee the whole thing, but the bit that the team know that I, I'm the man who creates the routes, pours over maps, um, you know, um, making little changes here, then everywhere. So, and they, they leave me to it because they know I'm never happier than when I'm trying to find a 10K, 5K route. And recently we've, um, and this is where a little bit of tie up, um, we're doing a series of new events with uh, Forest England um, which are running events that they, they've... There are lots of events happens in Forest, including orienteering, but Forest England want to have a little bit more of a... have their own events in their own forest, which is great in trying to encourage people to run and walk and, and I guess, orienteer as well. So we're helping them organise a bunch of... And actually, when you're setting a route, and orienteers will know this, it's, it, orienteering is not so bad, but when you're trying to set a kind of route, a 5 and a 10k route in a forest that finishes and starts in the same place and you've only got certain paths you can use, uh, it'd be great if you just, like, an orienteering through the forest. Straight over. Yeah, but when you've got, you know, when you've got a thousand people... They... So um, in, in cities, it's easy. You kind of go, we'll go down there and turn that, that lad on 400 metres. Forests, there's less of a... Uh, there, there aren't as many options. So that's been fun. So when you ask me about maps, I'm never happier than when I'm sitting, pouring over a map... Um, a little bit different, obviously, from an orienteering perspective, but no, that's I, I'm pretty comfortable with that. Well, Did you... oh. I, I was going to say we've obviously got the sprint distance now, which you wouldn't have done, done when you were. Yeah, that sounds positive, great. So. Except the word sprint, I know it, it, it well, just yeah. means short, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I know. Um, you know, I, I, I've uh, I've been looking at that. You know, and the, the whole urban stuff and all, all of that's really. Uh, although I do like being out in the forest, I, I, I must admit, and I'm quite lucky. I live out in the country in Northumberland, and you know, Kielder's just down the road, and um, you know, I, th- that would be my preferred option. But I th- but but yes, um, 
I do. I, I, as I've got older, one of the things you do as you get older is because you can't run as fast, you replace it when you can by going further. So although the sprint option does sound nice, um, the temptation to run quicker than... Because as soon as I go a bit quicker, that's when the little... The hamstrings go and the, you, know, you get the little <laughs> pings and things. But just you know, going along at a steady pace uh, for an hour or two, then, then that's also appealing. I think I think a lot of our listeners will be pleased to be able to relate to that and know that um, that they feel the same. Or even just going too fast in a sprint and then it, they just completely mess up the orienteering things as well. Yeah, I don't. You know, as I said, I, I'm as you know, genuinely curious. I've been looking at, at the sort of events that are on now. So I, I've, um, as I said, my my appetite's been whetted. So um, I mean, you know, I've uh, we we. My summers in particular are very busy with athletics um, and uh, that season's just started. We just had our first Diamond League at, at uh, oddly enough, in Gateshead, which was, it was meant to be in Rabat, but um, <laughs> Gateshead stepped in. A but very soggy Diamond League, yeah. yeah. It so was very wet, yeah. It was very, very typically British um, weather. But, uh, yeah, and then they're all off to Doha for this week, um, which, which actually we'll be doing off tube, sadly. But... Um, yeah, you know the 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 um, uh, if timing fits and I can kind of get a couple of things in the diary, then then I'd love to I'd love to get involved. Yeah, what was what's your best memories of of orienteering when you were a teenager? Like, is there any particular like trips you went on or places you went that you can particularly remember? Um, I, I did quite a lot of events, um, a lot in the northeast, obviously, um, and. Um, Chopwell and Hamsterley and 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 uh, walk and and whack as we say up here, um, but then we did go to some bigger events as we got a bit better. And I went up to Scotland a couple of times. Um, I did do one event in Scotland which I didn't particularly enjoy. It was much more moorland and and you know it was less um, forest based and and I, I, I don't know why I didn't enjoy that one quite so much, but. Um, some of my we did a nighttime event I remember as well. I have a really strong memory of a of a nighttime event. Um two actually one was in a forest and we did another one. Do you know where the Great North Run finishes in South Shields? Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you turn the camera around, you know, everyone sees that kind of finish, but actually that whole stretch of it it comes all the way back um and there's an area up on the top of the cliffs. Uh, which is quite nice. and uh, oddly enough, we had a nighttime event up there, which was a little bit scary because there were some. Um, I'm not sure today it would be allowed. To be fair, having kids running around with head, tor- <laughs> head torches with some quite severe drops, not the big cliffs to the sea, but there was you know it's kind of a craggy area and stuff. But um, I think what what, what I, the one the, it wasn't in a competition, and the one time I thought you know I really really loving this. I went to a, I was in, in a, like a training weekend and one of the exercises we had to do is where they gave you a, um, a sort of blacked out map with, with just a, t- a, a sort of tunnel that you start oh, yeah, the, oh, corridors. Yeah, the corridors. Yeah. The yeah. corridor. And that, that was, I was getting to a point there where I sort of thought I knew what I was doing, you know, like, you know, it was, it was thought I knew what I was doing. And I and I did quite well at it, and I just remember thinking, you know, I could, that that was, I think probably within about three four months of that, I had to stop. But it was just at the point where, you know, you're on your own, running through the forest, really concentrating, having to slow down 
that, that was often my problem with orienteering. I would just run and then suddenly realise, oh, I've gone past where you're... So, but this was really about concentrating and, and you know, using, realising how important the map, map skills were. Um, and uh, that, that was when I realised, wow, I, you know, this is something I'd, I'd, I'd like to spend more time doing. Sadly, then, after that, um, I didn't. We... <laughs> I do have some other. I do have some other memories of when we first started. Of of you know just absolute disastrous things. Um, oh, and I should add, some people might remember. Um, uh, I did a film, some filming for with Annika Rice. Um, uh, yeah. Annika came and did a. She was trying different things, and so uh, we'd. Suggest, she didn't want to come running, so we suggested orienteering, and um, we we went and filmed. And you'll know that doing you know, television at orienteering events is, you, and, and particularly with a film crew, not a, you know, weren't covering the event mm-hmm. as such, um, that caused a bit of a stir. So that was a, that was a few years later after I'd stopped orienteering and was well into my athletics career, mm. um, but was fun nonetheless. Yeah, I'd forgot about that. Yeah. Well, well, some you know some orienteers when you announced as president, there was all sorts of like chats on the um, the kind of web forums about you going to uh, do like do prize givings at various events i think there's a picture of giving a prize to my auntie who was orienteering at the time <laughs> and um also a, a video going around from the bislet games with the one mile record and uh, the junior squad were there because they were training in norway you know and then they just jump on the track and everyone jumps on the track and i'm like oh i haven't seen athletics be like that where you just have a lap of honor with so many people running around and the junior squad were there yeah oh wow that's that's great i mean i didn't know that but uh, yeah those in those days uh, actually somebody we were talking about gates said the other day and um exactly the same in the year the couple of years before that in 1983 um, I actually was racing, um, people know who Seb Coy is, I hope, um, and uh, actually beat Seb in an 800 metre race, which was a bit unusual, just before the World Champs. And of course, because I was on a home track and the whole track got invaded by the crowd after, you know, and, and people, there's some pictures up in the stadium of that and people going, what? You know, how did the, how did the crowd get on the track? And you kind of, well, it's the sort of thing that, that happened in those days, but yeah. Well, if, if anyone's got any, any, any clips of uh, uh, myself with Annika, that would be interesting to see. I'm sure they're probably out there somewhere. Oh, I'm sure they are. We'll have to dig them out. We'll have to dig them out. So mm. how were you asked to be president and why did you say yes? Um, I, I'll be honest, I've been asked to do other things over the years. And, and whenever I get asked, um, which was a little while ago, because obviously... Um, uh, Chris was coming to the end of his tenure and didn't want to do it. And so, so it was like, OK, um, whenever I say I want, I'll do, particularly now, as I've got a bit older and I'm busy uh, in a good way, you, you know, I always want to feel, I'm, I'll only do something if I feel as though I can give some commitment to it. I th- I, I'm not one anymore for just kind of being a name on a piece of paper, um, which is fine, you know, and that's often uh, quite important to have that. So when I was having conversations, I was, I was like, look, you know, I can do so much. Let, let's be honest, you know, that I won't be able to go to everything and be it partly because of clashes around, you know, athletics and things, certainly for the next two, three years at least. Um, we've got to, because of COVID, everything's banked up 
championship wise and everyone's through the you know they've got the same issues but um i'm i am really really passionate about <clears throat> people now getting out and being having a more active lifestyle and running is the most straightforward thing i think and but getting people out of their kind of and i don't mean comfort zone in the sense of um you know uh, I'm not comfortable running, but you're know, getting them out there. But then once they've done that, is to kind of go, look, there are lots of places to run as well. And there are lots of different ways to run. And orienteering is a great, for me, and particularly with families and kids and things. And remember, I was talking about pulling those skills together, you know, in geography and maths and all of that sort of thing. So to me, um, if I'm going to be, you know, if I'm going to back up the stuff I say, which is about, Let's get people out and, and, and have a you know, healthy mind, healthy body, all of that sort of thing. And I, I genuinely do feel passionate about it. Then um, you know, you've, you've got to do some things to try and make that work. I can't really take any positions with British athletics because of my commentating role. Because that's, and particularly when you work for the BBC, it can be seen as a bit of a conflict. So I've never taken an official role with, with British athletics. Uh, but this is a bit different and it's actually different in a really good way because I love, as I said, you know, I go for runs in, in the sort of places that, that you know, um, people don't always have the chance to do. And, you know, I'm very, very keen, hence the whole the Forest England programme I was telling you about. You know, I'm very keen that we get people uh, in cities, yes, but out into all the other spaces that, that just are... Um, great places to, you know, to exercise. But with this added frisson that orienteering gives you of having a lot of fun, you know, and, and adding another element to it, which, which, I, which I hope people can enjoy. So, um, so yeah, you know, it, it's just a good fit. Um, but, but a fit that, that, I'm, that I would like to kind of, you know, commit some time and effort to. Yeah, how are you how are you wanting to get involved? Like, what kind of things are you hoping to to do in your role? Well, I think once yeah, it's been a little bit of a stop start because of the whole COVID thing and everything. Um, so uh, the idea is, uh, I hope anyway, that that over the um, probably once we've got the summer out of the way, because um, it's been a bit. My diary's not been easy to because I'm still hoping Tokyo is on, but you know this. <laughs> Uh, and, and our own events and things but as, as we move into the autumn um there's there's sort of three things i want to go to some events um i want to fulfill the role in a you know in the capacity in which uh, yet i mean you know the, there are there are things that uh, they'd like me to do which if i can't fit them in there's you know some formal occasions and things like that brilliant um, but I think also tr- trying to act as an advocate for, for orienteering as well going forward. And um, that's something we probably need to spend a little bit more time around to kind of work out you know, how best to do that and um, you know, what are the opportunities around that. I've sort of already mentioned a, a, a couple, you know, even from an events organising point of view and, and you know, relationships with Forest England and, and other things. It's like, OK, there are some things here which, which you what? how can we uh, make the tie up there with, with the sport into, into those things? I would love to get a couple of urban events going. You know, we have events in Newcastle and Sunderland and Durham running events and, and Worcester and 
great to start saying, okay, you know, because what, what, what we love doing is um, making, instead of having like a 10K race, we try and we'll have a 5K, 10K, half marathon. We start to try to turn it into a whole weekend. We're introducing, uh, been, actually a project been working on with Paula Radcliffe, um, which we trialed just before COVID and now going to start to run out this year. It's a thing called Families on Track, which is more of a family orientated, almost like continuous relay, which you do at the event. And it's from four year olds up to grannies and, and you can do it as a family. And it's great. So I'm, I'm keen to kind of go, so why not? Why, uh, and in our Durham Run Festival uh, 2019, not 2020, for instance, we did some themed runs through the city where they were getting, there was, you know Terry Deary from Horrible Histories? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. So Terry's from up here. So we got Terry to take people on a guided run tour around Durham, stopping and talking about, you know, in the way he does with Horrible Histories. And the kids loved it and all that sort of thing. We had a, we had a gin run, you know, where <laughs> uh, for the adults, uh, a little two, three mile run where you stopped at five different gin places and people t- chatted to you a little bit about the gin, did a bit of gin tasting. That was fun at the end of it. Well, has anyone told you about beer, beer reinteering or um, well, you or see, alcohol? Oh, that, sounds, that sounds great to me. But you get My one speciality. You know, what, I, what I'm trying to say is, you know, why not a bit of urban orienteering? That, that, you know, so I think those are things to explore um, as well. But yeah... Presidents are expected to turn up and shake hands and, and you know, and, and present prizes and all of that. So I'll try and do as much of that as possible as well. Oh, that's, that's brilliant. I think that maybe kind of some of your comments there leads us into, we were asking for some questions on our social media and Duncan Coombs is asking, does, do you think orienteering has an image problem and is there anything you think you can do to, to help combat it? I don't think it has an image problem. It's not a problem. It's just in, in the world that we live in now. And I think it's a big opportunity now. You, you know, you've, you've just got to shout loud. You know, you've got to, um, you know, create the sort of content that people will relate to and, um, and, then, and then be accessible. I think that's, that's the two things, really. So I don't think it's an image problem as such. It's probably just that it, it's, a, it's, it's an image that needs developed as much as anything else. So I think it's got loads going for it. You know, it's got young people, old people, it's got, you know, you've got, you can be in the cities, you can be in forests, you can be, you know, it's got, it just, all sports have to battle the inevitable kind of conflicts. It's not conflicts, but the balancing act between, you know, investing in that sort of uh, marketing approach, which is really what it is, You know, versus how do how do we get the income in and and it because marketing costs money. Uh, thankfully, it costs a lot less money than it used to. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you've got the right influencers and you've got the right kind of content creation that 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 um, isn't like in the old days where you'd spend a lot of money on advertising and you know physical uh, media. Um, and and not ev- not there's very few sports there's a lot less sports on TV than you think, but a lot of sports are are, are creating other ways of, as you know whether it's simply Facebook Live or whether you're actually going to create a a stream of your event and and you know that happens you commentate yourself on them, and that that you can build that into bigger and bigger audiences because 
Um, and those are opportunities that weren't around. You know, to stream an event now is much cheaper than it... Well, you couldn't do it 10 years ago, really. Yeah. Whereas yeah. now, you know, you have the opportunity to, to showcase live events in a way that, that, that you really couldn't, and, and in a fairly cost-effective way. So I think, I think the opportunities are there. You just need a bit of a strategic approach to it and, and to have a think about what you're trying to, what you're trying to achieve. But I don't think you've got... I, 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 would, I really wouldn't call it an image problem. I think it's an image opportunity. Oh, well, I like to see you taking the positive. And, you know, we can, we're sitting down here with a few laptops and Zoom and some uh, phones and we're recording the podcast and you, we couldn't do that 10 years ago. So that's a, a great example, I think, as well, of how much things have changed, um, I think. But I think one thing that I would, I would agree with that there's an opportunity is in that you say people, oh, I, oh, I go orienteering. And they generally know that it's, to do with a map and it's kind of a sport but they might think you're walking around in a group or it's a bit of a treasure hunt so I like to take the positive that they have heard of it and they do kind of know that it has a map but then it's like oh you're nearly there we just need to go a little bit further to be like well it's also a sport that has a world championships and yes you can walk around but you can also run really fast around it and it has this and this and this so um there is an opportunity to kind of fill in the gaps, I think. Yeah, and I think, okay, so, uh, you know, and this is not, I hope we wouldn't step on anybody's toes. The thing not to be is too kind of, um, elitist is the wrong word, but, but, so if I give the example of what happened in our sport, so athletic clubs, you know, I grew up in the athletic clubs, and athletic clubs were dying, you know, the, it, uh, track and field is actually a complicated sport, Throwing the hammer's got nothing to do with running 1,500 metres, you know, but they're, but they're under the same umbrella. Um, so you join an athletic club, you could be joining it to be a shot putter or a 100-metre runner or a hurdler, or a, you know, and, you, and you might not even know what you want to be. And that needs lots of different coaches. And in, in the amateur world that we all used to live in, that was kind of, a, you know, it was, it was good and it went through various... But r- straightforward running, you know, uh, so when the running boom started to happen in the 80s, things like London Marathon, Great North Run started and people started, the clubs were a bit, yeah, that's me, you know, that's not that, we're an athletics club, right? And they weren't necessarily as, and certainly the federation, which is why a lot of running that happens now is not organised by our federation. So um, they were a bit, that's not our sport. Mm. Well, yeah, yeah, it is. And of course, here we are years later where, you know, one of the biggest events, running events, is park run, right? Um, you know, and, and thousands, millions of people take part in park runs all over the world. Vast majority of them are not in athletic clubs. And the vast majority of them wouldn't know where the local athletic club is, which is sad. Mm. Um, and because a lot of them probably quite a few of them had they joined earlier or had you know, maybe maybe would have take, could have taken it a bit more seriously there's a lot of talented runners out there they just don't know it um and so there's been a bit of a turnaround with that over the last 10 years but of course they're trying to play catch up with looking at that market and kind of going hey guys here we are so i think the key is to be as open and as accessible i used that word earlier on as you possibly can be because there are people out there who like to run and there's certainly people out there who, who, I mean, we all have, we all got maps in our cars now, 
you know, we're, 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 I think most people are a little bit used to, uh, and I'm not saying that we should have a sat-nav in, a, you know, listening to someone going, right, turn left here and turn, you know, maybe, maybe cheating, but, 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 you know, maybe that is a way of initially, you, you understand what I'm saying? I think you have to be, you've got to be open to look, uh, you know, this is how our sport is organised and this is how it works and these are the rules. That, however, we might need to think about how do we get people interested in the first place and maybe we those, some of those rules don't apply and this, this, we're going to do this kind of... A, I mean, triathlon have been very good with that, you know, being very... Um, introdu- you know, some of the introductory levels that they have, things like go try and all the rest of it. You know, the, the 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 rules aren't strictly applied because they don't. They will be eventually if you take it more seriously. But initially, so it. it I think that's what it. If you can kind of open your mind to your know, being, as you've rightly said, Catherine, being on the other side and going, hey, that's a good start. They've heard of us. They know it's mm-hmm. kind of there's some map reading involved and some running walking involved great and if that's you know that that's a start point so how how do we then take it to the to the next level but yeah but yeah. yeah well and now should be the perfect time you know with covid people want to be outside people are being more outside than they ever have been you just have to see how many cars are parked up in the forest just uh, <laughs> up the road and people want to be outside and doing something different I think as well so you know this is exactly the right time if only we could get more permission from landowners like same as parkrun you know we've like had the same problems there with trying to get with uh, some clubs trying to get events together because um as and as you will know this from organizing all the events you do all the hoops you've got to jump through from different different bodies just makes it quite complicated yeah, you know, and we live in a world where, you know, things like health and safety are incredibly important, um, which sometimes puts people off. You know, in the old days, you could sort of rack up and uh, um, put events on without health and safety officers and all, you know, and all the rest of it, whereas the world's a very different place now. So it's you're right, everything from permissions to, you know, uh, how you organize an event insurances and you know it, it is a complicated world and, and and in most cases rightly so so but we you have to sometimes try and adopt a you know an attitude of well you know let let's let's try and make it happen um and don't be too easily put off um and also it's about relationships isn't it you know and i, th- I think most what we've found over the years is that once you get over the hurdle of the first time, mm. everyone then goes, oh, okay, right, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be and, you know, whatever, whatever, and then, and then away you go and then people actually come on board with, with what you're trying to do. So, yeah, um, not easy, and I'm not, I'm not saying it is, um, because it, orienteering needs space, <laughs> you know, it needs... <laughs> It, it, whether it's it, it, an urban event or out at your so you've it's not something you can do in a little field um necessarily so yeah uh, i understand that and that's something which um you know it, I, I think you just have to try and keep working hard at, 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 at you know getting the right sort of events in the places you want to have them um so that people can you know whether at the elite end or, or introductory level they, they get the chance to have a go yeah hmm. And um, Will, do you have any more questions from our, from you or from our social media? Yeah, I, I was going to ask Steve, what what is your perception of the elite end of orienteering? I think what you're saying there of trying to increase the participation, getting people involved, I guess the sports tried that in terms of 
urban side of things, trying to do a sprint relay at World Champs, I guess following the biathlon and cross-country skiing model of opening up the disciplines to get more people involved. But I guess what's your perception of the elite side, World Champs, any of that? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I wouldn't lie and say I'm, I'm too across... Um, everything relating to that. I, th- I think <clears throat> when I look at some of the things that, that's happening, um, triathlon and, and, and duathlon and things, which I have a little bit more experience of just of putting events on as well. And my kids are bought, I said my kids. Um, when your kids get beyond 30, you, do, you wonder whether you stop calling them kids, but never mind. Um, they're, they're still the kids. Um, you know, and you... you uh, so, for instance, my daughter does duathlons and, and does world age group champs and I've been to watch her in Denmark and maybe going to Holland later this year and things like that. And and tying them into the elite, you know, the, the, the proper elite events and things is is a great way forward or has been very successful for them because um, they're people who are very happy to get the chance to go on an event like that in their age group you know, and they got pay their own way and all the rest of it, but it helps supplement uh, what could be quite an expensive elite. Uh, if the if you just went after the elite event, you, you get what I mean. So you've got a three yeah, four yeah. day because <clears throat> um, you, you're shutting roads, you all the infrastructure around all of that is costly. Um, but when you've got a, a three or four different cohorts that are part of that, then. And, and of course, that's not a world that everyone's always entirely comfortable with because the elite world sometimes can be very elitist um, and think, right, that's what we need to be doing. Um, again, if you go to a World Series triathlon event, you've got the elites and it's televised, but the whole weekend, there's lots of mass participation events going on around it. So from, a, from an organisational commercial perspective... I think that that's quite important for a sport like orienteering. I would say that that you know the more you can now you'd probably tell me that's what they go that's what happens and and if uh, well there are spectator races to a degree um, yeah yeah to a degree but they're not any sort of like they're not really that major they're just kind of holiday races if you get what I mean so so I think what I'm trying to say is that the bigger you make the event that that uplifts the elite event as well because you. T- often will find if you can combine you know the the proper the the top guys showing how it should be done with those who are happy to watch that but then have their go as well funny enough with sponsors and things like that that's that's a nice mix as well um not necessarily for from a tv perspective that they don't really want to necessarily show that other stuff but but um the very fact that that's it, it's on TV, that venue is on TV, means that people are more likely to want to come and be there and take part. I think in terms of, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, I was actually looking through some of the squad members because I know, I know a few years back I kept coming across runners who were in, you know, kind of not quite making it in, 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 um, in athletics, but were, I knew were doing, as has happened, they branch off, I'll have a good triathlon, one or two coming going into orienteering or have come up through that rank and then found that their running's got better and better and better and kind of come across that way. And I think that's important. You know, it's an endurance event, okay? And one of the things I've been quite keen on in, in recent times, and not, well, not with loads of success, 
one of the things we learned in the preparations up to 2012 was the more we got the sports at the top level, going back to that sort of lottery funding thing, to share thoughts and ideas, common practices and things, was really productive. Because you'd go, okay, what's cycling going to tell track and field? What's swimming? But if, if the endurance guys, you know, there are sprinters in cycling, there's endurance, and there's sprinters in athletics, and there's endurance, and there's sprint events in swimming, and there's endurance, same in triathlon. And you go, actually, from a science and, and um, medicine perspective, it's endurance, okay? So what are the things that we can share that, that everybody can perhaps, you know, take advantage from? And orienteering fits into that. You know, so so <clears throat> from an elite development perspective, the more you can kind of get some of this cross-referencing, both in terms of talent ID, um, it's a bit like, oh man, you know, if every little boy in the northeast of England had a go at athletics, because what happens is they all play football, <laughs> and then and then by eight or nine they quit because they haven't made they haven't made it right. And and their their experience of sport is like oh that's it you know I'm not going to be, a... and if we could hoover up all those kids you know and kind of okay you know actually you know what if you're a better sprinter you might be a better footballer, for argument's sake, and so the, there's 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 in terms of de- elite development, not necessarily being so. Uh, narrow minded perhaps you know that all the sports we want them to kind of go. Um, Look, you know, um, so, so yes, triathlon did that. Are there any runners out there who can ride a bike? No, actually, no, that's not what they did. They said, are there any runners who can swim because we can teach you to ride a bike, yeah. right? Yeah. So, and that's the approach they took. They started nabbing and they still have quite a lot of our, you know, very best runners into that sport because they weren't necessarily going to make the team in... Um, in track and field, going to be close. You know, maybe maybe making the cross country teams, but you know, and then triathlon. Going, you're you're the type of person we're looking for. You go on our talent program. You get funded. You get you know. Uh, well, yeah, I think a lot of I think triathlon have nabbed a lot of would be orienteers. They've done. They've yeah. put themselves out there. They've given themselves a really great image. They've gone those those kind of pathways. They've said, yeah, we'll give you this, this, and this. And it's, I think it's kind of the same type of people who are sporty, who are outdoorsy. You've got that bit of that extra element in triathlon, that the same that you have in orienteering on, you know, although it's slightly different level. And they've just kind of done a better job of going, here we are, come and, come and take part. Yeah, and as I said, that, that's... So you've got to get on the front foot with that. You know, that, that's... You, there's, if people know you're there and it's an opportunity... Look, everybody wants to pull a British vest on. <laughs> Orienteering, triathlon, track and field, it's, it's an honour to do that. Represent your country at anything. You know, my daughter representing at her, at her age group is still a proud thing for her to do. And I went to watch her and she won a medal and, you know, and you, brilliant. So um, to me, if you, if, as long as you're, you know, you're not, not too, as I said before, you know, if you're if if you kind of take the attitude of hey, you've got to come to us. You know, you're going to lose out on a lot of people. You've you've got to actually go and try and look and watch and and see and and you know, be accessible. As I said, in a way which 
um, if a talented 15, 16 year old who's like, oh, okay, you know, there's no reason why I can't do a bit of orienteering. It's slowly, and then those decisions later on, if they're running for argument's sake, they kind of go, but hey, you know, my orienteering's going really well, and they get representation, and, and away you go. So, yeah, I mean, you know, well, I don't know enough around how that the, the sort of talent ID and talent progression works. Um, yet, but it's certainly something I'd be more than happy to sort of have a look at and throw throw my two pennies worth in. You can tell I don't mind sort of throwing my two pennies worth. <laughs> <in>. <laughs> I think That's you're more than we welcome. Like. Yeah. <laughs> um, Will, do you have any more questions, or is it time to ask um, Steve if he's got some for us? Yeah, I think the only other one that we had from from a listener um, from uh, Tashkey from Australia actually was about you know cross pollination of ideas from different federations to each other, and can any Commonwealth countries help each other out, you know, being small federations in their own right in their countries. But it kind of, I guess, it seeps into what you were saying there about um, just sharing ideas and sharing training camps and all of that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, I, as I said, I think it's really important that it doesn't happen enough. Um, it doesn't even happen enough, even within a sport. You know, you you don't even get enough. Uh, one federation storming ahead and, and, you know, their country's doing really well. And inevitably they go, yeah, you know, this is, you, know, you don't necessarily want to share that. Um, and certainly, you know, across sports, that, that is an issue. I mean, particularly in the UK where, you know, our lottery funded programmes are quite important to those sports and therefore they don't all necessarily want to share. Mm. They compete against each other for the same prize. Yeah, they're competitive in that in that sense because if another sport goes to the Olympics and does really well and they don't do so well, their their funding gets cut and, and all the rest of it. So, but for the general good of people, I think sharing ideas is 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 always a good way forward. Um, and I think you shouldn't be, you know, I keep coming back to this point. You know, if you've got an open mind and you see something going on somewhere else that you haven't done before or you haven't, you know, don't, don't be, oh, well, that's them. That's what they do. You know, have a, you know, be open-minded about things um, and be prepared to have a go, you know, trying things out, which, um, you know, is usually the way in which, certainly on an individual level, you know, it's the way athletes think, you know, they're, they're I always think athletes and coaches, particularly athletes, athletes often force coaches to be more open-minded because they go, why is he beating me? You know, what's he doing? And the coach, oh, don't mind what he's... No, no, I want to know what he's doing. You know, and that's, that's the mentality you sort of have that, that gets you to the top because you're curious and you want to get better and you want to improve. And, and the way to do that is not to think everything you're doing is perfectly right all the time. It might be, um, but, but you've got to look at other things and maybe the things you can learn and you can take and, and develop. And, and that, you know, as I said, that goes for you know federations and, and 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 across sports as well and it's exactly why on the podcast we ask all the different internationals and elites and or even non-elites like what they're doing in their training and like what what tips they've got or the coaches the ways that they coach because you know it's such a technical sport that you've kind of got to take ideas and bits from from everywhere to find what fits for you that's always what we're saying the like junior coaching camps you can take on all these ideas but you know have a th- like what works for you taking as much as you can because there's not one way of of doing things i think as well yeah 
So that's mm. particularly interesting. Um, do you have any questions for us then to finish? Um, actually, you touched on one there, which which I'm, I'm more is, is is probably more to do with my age, but but I'm genuinely interested. Is about technology. Um, and so yeah, so go back to my day, you know, and the map and the and the, my compass and you know and, and and it was you know fairly. So it's it's really how much do you think technology? So no, you know, no um, GPS watches, no, you know, everything else that you can have these days. Um, so how much has technology, and what, and and that's what I don't know. What are the rules on what technology you can and can't use? But but how much has technology either has changed the sport or could change the sport? Um. <sighs> That's that's a very good question. I think so. Presumably, it was like pin punching when you were going yeah. around. Yeah. So we now have um, touch-free punching. Basically, it was kind of uh, so you have like a little electronic chip essentially on your finger. You well, you did used to have to kind of punch it in the box at the right time. So you still use the word punch, even though it's called even though it's a pin punch. Uh, but now you just essentially kind of like swipe past. Um, which is quite good for COVID because it's all touch-free, which is nice mm. and good. It means you can go nicely through the control. You don't have to stop. Um, but it's still kind of this, and you can get analysis immediately, you know, how long were you between each controls, all that kind of thing, and means all our results are kind of quicker. Um, there has been, there have quite been a quite a few changes in, in co- recent, very, very recently with things like, using your phones to to go and use the gps on your phone to go to a particular location so there's been a lot of like map runs they're called which are mostly around urban areas where you know there's one on my state where i live and you can go and you can punch the the right controls and that kind of you can do it anytime you can you, you all you need is a phone kind of allows there to be a lot more accessibility to that and i think it just makes it a bit cooler you know like um with with the technology that we have you know it's not like a a pin punch anymore it's and i think people don't the again the perception people don't realize it's it has got more technology based and there is that kind of kit that you have Hmm. it makes it feel so much more racy as well (laughs) how how much can i risk going and touching this control flag and like to save as many seconds as possible from just hovering my hand within a metre of it or 30 centimetres or touching it directly and running straight through a control and you know, maintaining as much speed as possible. Um, I think GPS tracking probably for championships is a big one and um, the ability to analyse afterwards on various programmes online where you can, if everyone sends their GPS file in afterwards, you can put them on a on the map on screen and see everyone's routes and in lifetime of okay i thought i nailed that control but actually looks like i lost 30 seconds by taking this slightly slower route through a patch of green bushes instead of through the nice white forest um so that's probably a big one that's holding us up a bit in the urban environment because the gps tracking is so bad within the buildings and just jumps Mm -hmm. around loads so it's i'd say that's a big negative in terms of live broadcasting i catherine you've probably got a better (laughs) perception of this as you know, commentating on it, but from watching it, when you're competing and you go, oh, well, the GPS tracker on my back isn't even going to work, so why worry about wearing it? Because no one's even going to see the data because it just jumps around so much. Um, but I think that's holding us back. And probably the the view of the longer distance races in the forest, actually seeing what athletes are doing and it not just being a, a couple of still cameras at two different... Um, 
two different control points on a 90 minute course and there's a bit bit of a slow narrative and struggling to get a, a runner's camera that works without being shaky into the forest <laughs> to see how yeah. someone's actually running the course live it means yeah for commentary you can get some uh, quite good analysis in the moment because you can see where people are right now where they've gone on the legs but it's always fun it adds that little extra element for the runners in because they know they're being tracked and it just, and i think i've heard so many times some runners like the first time they have to carry a special gps unit that they just go so wrong because they're thinking about <laughs> it and it's such a distraction that that's a lot that's yeah so has that answered your question <laughs> Yeah, no, I was curious for all those reasons, you know, that, that from a television perspective, your orienteering has always been tricky um, <laughs> and, and how to enhance that experience. And everybody um, is moving towards uh, the more data you can give the viewer, the, the better. Um, and the data alongside what, you know, the job that Catherine's doing and, and all the rest of it. So, um, which helps with, with live analysis that they can do themselves almost, you know, and as you said, GPS tracking is kind of the most basic bit of that. Um, where are they? You know, where's he? Where's where's she? Sort of thing. Um, so the more of that that's available. I mean, if you at a very basic level, remember over the years when we've been doing London Marathon in recent years, we'll stick a GPS tracker on a celebrity, and you'll probably watch us. We'll put an interactive map up and go, oh, you know, he's there and she's there. It's a bit basic, and to be honest, it fails more often, as you said, than it than it works. But it's getting better, and mm-hmm. as five G comes on board, um, that that will improve even even more. So I think that's you know, as a sport, I'd be saying for orienteering, you know, that it, it, that's one of its advantages. It, you don't want your sport to be too geeky, but <laughs> tech, but no, seriously, but tech yeah, yeah. Is, yeah. brings people in cycling. You know, oh, I yeah, mean, yeah. so the more tech you can um, integrate into the into the event, I w- into the sport, I would have thought is a is a good thing, particularly with young people as well. Um, you know, and yes, everything from controls to to tracking people, and but also I think um, I I don't mind the idea of people having a go at orienteering using their phone. Mm. To you know, to navigate around a city or whatever, and 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 feel good about that. So, yeah, I mean, tech to me seems a um, something to be utilised uh, going forward, if 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 possible. Yeah, because it's not just at the elite level. Like we've all of our examples have been at the elite level, but I run around with my. I'm definitely not elite and I run around with my watch on and I can upload it afterwards and put it online and other people can see or I can have a look and do some analysis and um or even just to go oh that person went that way or oh I didn't think of that or oh gosh they really messed up that control like adds to kind of the conversation around the sport as well yeah and as as you know as well we're saying the more as as it improves and you can do it live during an event and see where people are and what what they're doing then then yes um that's you know these days most people follow follow their friends through the big city running events with split depending on how many mats we put out and all the rest of it mm. but we're also getting to the point now where the gps tracking can follow them all the time and they'll know exactly where they're friend is as long as they've got their phone with them mm-hmm. um so i mean we've been also you know i was t- 
talking to some of the guys. So we're doing all sorts of things. Um, you know, one of the nutrition companies has um, been, Elliot Kipchoge wears this thing on his arm now, which uh, gives us all his glucose levels and things during training, during the race. We haven't quite got the point where we're confident enough to put it on screen yet. Um, but that's about refueling and, and everything else. You know, so, so anything that adds to the viewer's understanding, but also anything that's a bit techie, um, people like, you know, mm-hmm. so, so yeah. Um, okay, yeah, techno- we could probably go on and on about technology. I am a bit old school, yeah. But, um, there, was a, um, there was a start, completely aside, there's a startup that uh, my uh, partner's friend is, is trying to start up through the uh, Imperial College London, and they've developed a system of anal- analysing your lactic acid for your saliva, so you can give live traces of lactic acid instantly to a, to a phone. So that could be a good one to get on screen, <laughs> but that's yeah, the yeah, no, no. I see. Yeah, you know, you're trying to. It's it's that. It's just analysis, isn't it? Performance analysis mm-hmm. is, is. It's very useful for coaches and things, particularly if you can do it live in a training session. That that you know, lactic levels and lactate levels would be great. But um, but even for the viewer, you know, as long as they explain properly. I mean, I'll be honest. Um, there are some things that we can do with tracking and things in athletics that that I'm and you'll probably see on the Diamond League some things appear on the screen and I'm it it you, sometimes just because you can do it doesn't mean you have to do it. So, for instance, if you're watching a hundred meter race and a little graphic comes up telling you their speed in miles per hour. Well, the difference between Dina Asher-Smith and Shakari Richardson is, is like this much. Mm-hmm. And, their, and their average speed is hardly any difference at that level. An F1 car, you know, if someone's got two miles per hour more acceleration down the home straight, that makes a big difference. In running, they're, they're actually running speed. You know, they're running at 21.2 miles an hour and they're running at 21.23 miles an hour. Well, we, well, we can see that because one person's a yard ahead of the other sort of thing. So sometimes just because you can do it doesn't mean it necessarily adds, you know, to, to the experience of watching it. So, so it's, it's, it's you know, applied technology, let's call it that, yeah. Um, yeah. And the only other thing I was going to ask really was, yeah, was about where you guys thought the sport is at the moment, you know, in terms of um, coming out of COVID and everything and, you know, kind of, I guess, the opportunities that, that are there, but also what, what, what you think should be happening in the sport um, in terms of developing developing the sport participation and, and and at the elite end as well, you don't have to give me all chapter and verse, but yeah, just briefly. briefly. <laughs> you want to take that one first? Um, I think at the elite end, it's, it's a very interesting question with struggling. So we just had the European Championships um, for the sprint distance in Switzerland last weekend, but we couldn't get over there as a team due to the lack of elite. Um, level recognition through the um, Department for Culture, Media and Sport. So from a perception of an athlete, it's tough to see us coming out of COVID where we're limited in the competitions we can go and do and getting a a full... There was a few athletes that could get exemptions and go, um, but getting a full team to an event when you see other sports opening up so much, like athletics, you know, cycling and the Giro d'Italia being on at the moment... um, 
But that said, internally within in, within the UK, I think there's an attempt at the moment from people going right. Let's just focus here and now. What can we do? And opening up more of an elite league for domestic runners, trying to maintain participation where people have been dropping off and increasing the kind of events like having uh, the weekend just gone. We had a couple of races in the Lake District where it was a, a prologue middle on the Saturday and then a chasing start on the Sunday where you had different um, forked loops and then a final um, longer loop at the end. So having that increased head-to-head racing, you know, moving away slightly from the time trial format, which I think is, in, in my view, maybe holding us back from increasing participation as well of, you know, people had to go out and do it on their own. They can't have that head-to-head feel. So I think if we start moving down that avenue of getting more mass start races, you know, chasing starts, having more of a head-to-head feel, then that is probably a good way for us to be going. I think we are going in that way. Um, but but yeah, that that's what I enjoy as well as an athlete in those kind of head-to-head physical battles and, and less on the time trial side anyway. But that's yeah. that's probably from me. And I'll take it from a non-elite perspective as a non-elite <laughs> that it has been, you know, the whole COVID, the British Orienteering's policy is we you know we we we're not meant to appeal to newcomers because they need coaching and they need help and in covid we can't do that in a covid safe way because they need that kind of extra assistance to start so that's been very frustrating when we've not been able to do stuff because it feels like it should be kind of the perfect time but now we're trying to kind of i guess kind of come out of that and we it's it's the way the sport is going to bounce back after that i think is going to be really really crucial but certainly what I can see in positive ways of conversations that are going on is I do a lot of work with kind of 14, 16 year olds. And there's a lot of and, and those who are kind of at the top end at, at that point. But I see a lot of people who who don't succeed or whatever that means in the sport and end up dropping out. So it's about there's a lot more work starting to do in creating kind of like alternative pathways and what I'm trying to do with the commentary and with chatting about it on the podcast is showing people that there are a lot of ways to be, and, and young girls particularly, there's a lot of ways to be involved in the sport that's not competing at the highest level. Because that doesn't, that's not the be all and end all of competing, of doing orienteering. So, yeah, that's what I'd say. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, it's important that, you know, the, the, People have those conversations and and you know try and um, where possible you know you, you, you and I suppose you, I'd argue you, you could argue I'm I'm now on that side of the fence but you know those who who run the sport I'm president so I'm not running the sport but you know what I mean um, you know do listen you know you have to, you have to do that um, and all sports i mean we're doing some things in athletics you know it's not not some of it's not very popular if you're watching the league at the you know we, for the last two years we've been trying to introduce this final three thing well well i mean i do understand it i just think the athletes haven't quite got on board with it yet and and but it but it but the the reasons behind the change are, 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 are definitely ones which, you know, it's to do with trying to give more exposure and the right exposure to field events as opposed to track events, you know, because mm-hmm. often a field event can be won with a jump in round three and nobody notices it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not live because we were on the 5,000 metres and we bring it, we show it 
three minutes later or five minutes or ten minutes later, whatever it might be, because we've also got to show some of the pole vault. And the, so the idea is to how do you showcase the, the denouement of, the, of that competition? Um, but of course, it changes what they've done for 100 years or 50 years. So that any change, any change is always met with resistance. Um, and it's then how should that change that we do at the elite level then be carried down into club competition and league competition and you know is that because if if you're not learning how to compete like that as a youngster suddenly you're in a diamond league and you've got to do something extremely different and therefore should that be what you do at the olympic games Mm, you know, yeah. so so there are lots of all sports have to grapple with these sort of things, particularly when you're thinking about change. And all I think most sports these days are looking at change, whether you know cricket moving to their you know as they have done successfully in recent years to you know the the kind of went to the one day game and then to the you know the twenty over and before we know it, it'll be five overs and you know or it'll be. And you know, there's all sports are looking at how do we make our impact um, without necessarily altering the integrity of the sport. You know, and that's the tricky one. That's the tricky one. So, you know, Will's preferences will be different to somebody else's preferences, you know. Yeah. And so, and so you've got to try and accommodate all of that. Um, but, yeah, no, interesting, really interesting. So Yeah. Well, I think I think we'll end it there. Thanks, um, thanks a lot. Uh, look forward to hopefully actually meeting you at an, an actual event soon and doing some more doing some more things as we go forwards. Hopefully, we can make that happen and um, we can do some great things. Uh, can do some great things as part of the presidency. So I think we will leave it there for me. Um, so thanks so much, uh, Steve. I think you know putting a lot of a lot of his opinions out there about the w- ways to run a sport or ways to kind of run events and and how to get people involved even if he is has been out for interring for it for a while been watching on the sidelines wants to know some more so i'm so excited to see like what happens um with his presidency in the future and yeah really really looking forward to it um but uh before we end a quick word from our sponsors uh envy and straight compasses will you've been uh using the terra tts quite a lot recently Yes, yeah. I've um, this weekend just gone. I was doing some wrecking of an English champs fell race uh, with a couple of friends. Now that we're allowed to travel and see people, and uh, use the TTs on that. It's a good two and a half hours, three hours on the uh, on the hills, and the extra cushioning on the TTs was what I wanted. You know, not batter up the legs before test races this coming weekend, and it's perfect. Um, great grip while still being comfortable. Yep, and uh, if you want to get those, you can get in touch with Mary Fleming. You can contact her on nvstraits.uksales at gmail.com. That's nvii-str, the number eight, .uksales at gmail.com. So we're not going to have an episode next week. There's no sprint episode from uh, Steve Cram, uh, but we will be back in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, with more news and interviews and reactions from orienteering, especially as we start to kind of build up into more selection races, world champs, things like that. So we will see you then. 